Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Constantine. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, for this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it, is also do, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Thanks, Josiah. Well, good morning, everyone. Here we are, cold, rugged up, but we're gathered. And gathered across two separate services, which is not ideal, but look, um, you know, so much of Christian life is meant to be done in community. Uh, As Westerners, um, we typically are rugged, autonomous individuals where it's kind of like, I got me and I got my Bible and I got my coffee and that's how I do Christianity. But that's actually not how the Lord has designed our spiritual pilgrimage. Our Christianity is meant to be done in life together, in a community, and not just randomly meeting in homes or, or randomly uh, meeting on a farm somewhere, but actually gathering together on the Lord's day as his people. What a privilege that we can do that, even if it's cold and a bit sterile feeling. And we have to, you know, sit down and not sing and all of that. But nonetheless, we can actually gather. What a privilege. And I know after talking with a lot of you, you've you've longed for that. You've missed that, that coming together. And um, yeah, it's... It's a real privilege, isn't it, to be able to actually gather together. And, you know, I was thinking about it, particularly as we were watching. uh, And girls, you did did fine. Like, that that was great. Like, that was, you know, permission for a quick rant? Yes? Yes. I think the last 20 to 30 years, in an attempt to reach people, the church has become highly programmatic. Lots of staging and lights and come here. And it's nothing wrong necessarily. I'm not saying that's inherently evil. Don't don't misunderstand me. But I think that really gets people accustomed to a type of church. And if you study church history, it wasn't cool and slick. And like, it was actually usually meeting in cold chapels where like there wasn't like, hey everyone, welcome to Wyoming Church of Christ. And I'm not like and just, here, if, you, if it's your first time, we've got a coffee for you. Out in the, and it was actually like blokes preaching for like an hour or more and the gospel was center and there's breaking of the bread. And like, you have to understand church as we know it is very, very modern and new. And I, I say all of that not to like, bash on churches that have cool programs and slick PowerPoints. Actually, it's not. But I'm simply 
I guess, reminding us, why are we here? Why are we gathering? It's not for all of those extra things. It's to gather on the Lord's day as his people around his word to break bread together and to like celebrate the gospel together. And we can do that in a cold and sterile room. And for thousands of years, um, the church has been a lot simpler than the programs that we see today. That's not a rant against programs. You hear me? That's not a, those evil people, the programs. I'm simply encouraging you. Actually, I think it's wonderful that you are here. And actually, I'm hoping that this feels a little bit more organic in that way. That, that we're, we're, we're not like, oh man, I kind of miss the days where I can kind of slide in and there's, it feels a little bit more programmatic. I actually am grateful for this. I think this is good. I think even though this is awkward and you can hear Harleys going by and dogs barking as guys praying, you know, and Lord, you know, and there's all that going. I, look, this is a bit more organic and, and there's no like, you're here, why are you here, right? You're not here like because there's like cool bells and whistles. Not that we ever really had the coolest program going on here on a Sunday morning, but you're actually here because the Lord's called you, hopefully, and you're gathered as he says, don't neglect meeting together and you want to come. And, and, I, and I don't think this time is going to be wasted. Even now, just coming here, I'm, I'm really, I've been praying for you. This is the, the benefit of knowing a small church. I've gone through the list. I know you all by name and I've been praying for you by name. And I don't think this time is just going to be a random, like here's some, that American guy kind of uses hands and talk a lot, but hopefully the Lord speaks to you through his word during this time together. And so, um, as we gather around God's word, we're going to be studying the book of Colossians. And thank you, Nicole. That If you ever wonder, like, from our website, why we look cool, it's because of Nicole. Okay? Um, we looked like a normal church, the live stream, because we had a cool website and we had Sky up there. Now we're back to, like, this. Okay, so, but thank you, Sky, for all of your, it was always, everyone always said it was lovely to see Sky during the live stream, wasn't it? Yeah, even with your box that you'd have to, like, step on and all that stuff. So, but we are studying the book of Colossians. The all-sufficient Christ is the title of this. The all-sufficient Christ. A couple things I want to do before we talk about Colossians is just kind of pull back and, and think about the book itself. Now, don't tune, tune out because I know either, either you've been in two extremes of this. One extreme is, <laughs> one extreme is you've never sat under expositional preaching where the pastor opens the Bible and, and it's always a different topic every week from whatever's in his head. That's one bad thing. Or another thing is on the other extreme of that, you've been a part of a church where they're like, no. The city of Colossae, which is located in the Lycus Valley, is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. In the ancient modern world, which is now modern-day Turkey, blah, blah, blah. Okay? We're not, hopefully, I'm not going to do either one of those things. I do think it's appropriate, though, for us to understand it is in the Lycus Valley, though. I'm just giving you little nuggets there. Um, and it is modern-day Turkey. But this is a real letter written to real people. Paul, the apostle, actually writes this letter to this group of people, Okay, so I want to give you a little background. He writes this letter, but you have to understand this. Paul's never met the church that lives in, Col in Colossae. So, you know, when you read Philippians, they're like his best mates. Oh, I just, you know, I love you guys. So much joy, 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 joy. But 
with Colossians, he, he actually, he does, he's never met them. He's only heard about them from this guy, Epaphras. So there's this problem going on in this church. Not this church. You're like, ooh, okay, maybe. But there's a problem going on in this church here in Colossians. And we don't know what the problem is. There's been whole books written about what the problem is. The Colossian heresy, 42 reasons, and I won't give you them. But some people are like, what's going on? We know this much was probably going on. Epaphras goes to Rome. He visits Paul in jail and he says, hey, I'm really distressed about this church. And why is that? Because there's a false teaching or there's false teachers. And this is the essence of what they're saying. You can have faith in Jesus. That's cool. But if you really want to tap into what God's doing, you need to have this experience. Jesus plus. Does that make sense? It's faith in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. We, that we're cool with that. You just need this secret teaching that we want to offer you, that we want to bring to you, which will improve your Christianity. Are you hearing that? And, and who doesn't want to grow up as a Christian? Who, you know, yeah, improve my Christianity. Isn't that kind of why I'm here sort of thing? But, but listen, Paul reacts to that. This idea that you have to have Jesus plus this experience. And that's why in the book of Colossians, he's constantly referencing the fullness of Christ. Again and again and again, he keeps coming back to Jesus is all that you need for salvation and obedience to him and glorifying him on this earth. Does that make sense? So we don't know what the Colossian heresy was, but we do know that Paul's saying, look, and, and how would this be relevant? Because I was thinking about this church, like as in you guys. We don't need, hear me, we don't need a sort of mystical experience with God. We don't need dreams. We don't need to get a vision. We don't need words of knowledge. We don't need any of those things. We don't need uh, some spiritual gift that we can sort of, soar to the heavens with, we need Christ, period. That is it. There's, there isn't anything that we lack. Do you understand? Christ is all sufficient. I was going to name this series, I joked with Nicole, The Supremacy of Christ, but it sound, that sounds like a pizza, right? Like, I'd like the supremacy of Christ with the side of anchovies or, or whatever, right? But like, Christ is supreme. Jesus is all that you need for salvation and life and godliness, period. End of story. Now let's, let's dive into the letter here because I want to see what Paul does. It's really interesting. If you look, Josiah just read for us, but if you look here in Colossians chapter one, fascinating what Paul how he celebrates this group, not them personally, but what God has done because they've been impacted by the gospel. In fact, let, let me ask you that. Let me ask you that, friend. Um, everybody tracking with me? That was for you, Josiah. Have, have, you, have you been impacted by the gospel? 
Simple question. Have you, those of you Aussies living here on the Central Coast, have you been impacted by the gospel? If you have, there will be three, at least three characteristics in your life. Faith, love, and hope. And I don't mean natural faith, love, and hope. I mean a supernatural working of God that produces faith, love, and hope. Now, is that just the pastor's opinion? Is that me just, I, you know, do I just want you to be nice, loving people that have faith and love? That, look what Paul says. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, you see that? And then the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul begins by announcing a prayer of thanksgiving. He thanks God for his gracious work in their lives. They have these characteristics which are unnatural. He's not talking about certain temperaments or personalities. Does that make sense? Oh, the, I, she is so lovely. Oh, she's so kind or she's so this. That's not what Paul's talking about. No, these qualities of faith, love, and hope are hallmarks or evidences of the work of God in the heart of a man or a woman. These are not things which are come naturally, but they're supernatural things of someone who's been impacted by the gospel. So that's where we're headed this morning. How do you know, how do you know that you've been impacted by the gospel? It's three things. Faith in Jesus Christ, love for God's people, and last, hope that is built upon the gospel. That is the, as some call it, the golden triad of the Christian life. That sounds like a, the gold, and the Israelites worshiped the golden triad and God sent plagues amongst them. I mean, that sounds weird, but that's Christian triad, right? Faith, love, hope. That's where we're headed. But what, let me do this. Let me pray real quick and then we can unpack that in our text. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that we can gather this morning that this is a privilege. Lord, I pray that you would work in powerful ways this morning, that this time wouldn't just be random or wasted or awkward, but Lord, that you would, by your spirit, supernaturally work and convict and draw many to yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, have you ever experienced this? Have you ever been super tight with someone, you know, roommate, friend from uni, soccer coach, you know, whatever. You guys were super close. And then for whatever reason, life got busy. You, they moved or you moved and you just lost contact with them. And, you know, I maybe didn't have a blowout with them, but just, you just sort of lost contact with them. And then randomly, a mutual friend drops their name in a conversation. And they say, oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And you're immediately thinking, oh, I, I hope they're okay, right? 
And, and sometimes they're not okay. Some, sadly, sometimes it's like, they went off the rails. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you hear, oh, no, they're doing great. They live in Queensland now, and, you know, they, they you know, married this person and got a great job and wife and kids and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It, but it's encouraging. Okay, good. It's encouraging to hear, like, a positive report about someone. At least I, I hope you'd be encouraged by that, right? To say, oh, okay, good. They're, 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 they're doing quite well. They're plugged into a good church, blah, blah, blah. That's the case with Paul here. He's never visited this place, but he hears about their faith. He hears about this hope that they have. Now, I want us to see here, it's really interesting. Remember, he's never met this church, but as he prays, what is his posture? In other words, as he's there in a Roman prison, when he bows his head and he thinks about this church in Colossae, thankfulness just rolls right off his lips. He praises God for his gracious work in their life. Notice there, the first thing that he praises God for is faith. Now, people talk a lot about faith today, don't they? Oprah talks a lot about faith. Hey, you just got to have faith. George Michael talked about God. So did Limp Biscuit. Right? Copying George Michael. You got to have faith, people. Maybe even you heard some of your pagan, agnostic, whatever, neighbors during COVID say, look, just trying to stay positive, keep faith. Maybe you heard stuff like that, right? These are people that, they're not Christians. But they say, you know, you just got to have faith. You just, it's, it's good to have. Doctors tell us that you actually live a healthier life if you have faith. Faith is a good thing. I think, I, I reckon we could go to Ministry Cafe over here or the Wyoming Shops or Aaron Affair, and we, and we could say, do you think it's good that I have faith? And someone would say, yeah, why not? Right? Most people would say, that's probably a good thing that you, that you have faith. But I wonder, what kind of faith is Paul praising God for here? I, I don't imagine that he's praising God for some vague notion of faith itself. Is he? No, He's thanking God for the object of their faith, right? You see that in verse 4? He says, Jesus Christ is the object of their faith. You see, faith is only as good as its object. It's only as good as its object. And I got to say this. Do you want to know what one of my greatest concerns for this church is? You want to know what keeps me up at night? When I think about, and, and we're a small church. I know every one of your names in this room. Okay? I don't know all the details of your life, but I know, I know most of you. Do you want to know what keeps me up at night? Do you want to know what, when I'm waking up at three in the morning and I'm praying and I'm thinking about you? My, one of my greatest concerns is that you would have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the object of your faith. Look, not trying to be a jerk here. I don't, I don't really care if you sense some warmth in this church or call this your church family. I don't really care if this is a place of emotional refuge for you. I, I, I really don't. Do you know why that's not my biggest concern? It's fine if those things exist. 
But my biggest concern, because look, all the stuff I just mentioned, you know, place of emotional refuge for you. This is churches. This is my church family. People say that a lot around here. This is my church family. Listen, all of that dries up in the end when you have to face God if you don't have a saving faith in Jesus. Do you understand that? We're not all going to go, Wyoming Church of Christ, hold hands and go to Judgment Day together and be like, hey, we're all in this together. Listen, the Lord will look at you and you will either enter heaven or hell based on what you've done with Jesus. If you have a saving faith in Jesus, you enter into glory. If not, you will be judged. That, that, do you see that's why that ultimately, that's what I had, I'm primarily concerned about is that you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. You can have a correct understanding of who Jesus is, by the way, that he is the eternal son of God, lived a life of sinless perfection, died on a cross, rose again, and yet somehow, and I worry this is, I, I, I worry this is a good handful of people in this church, yet somehow never come to the place where you appropriate that for yourself. You never enter into a saving relationship with Jesus through faith in him. You hear information about him, but fail to personally trust in him and faith alone for salvation. I really want us to get the importance of this. In fact, I want us to see here the importance of this word faith actually used in a couple different locations in Colossians. Go with me to chapter two real quick. If you flip forward to chapter two, Paul talks about people that have this new spiritual life because of their faith in Jesus. Look what he says in Colossians 2.12. He says, and, and he gives a profound analogy here uh, about Christ's death and resurrection and how Christians are connected to that by faith. Look what he says, 2.12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. Now, heavy imagery there, baptism, raised, but did you hear, did you see how, did you at least get this? Do you at least see how faith is operating there? It's having a trust in or a reliance upon a living person. Biblical faith, hear me, biblical faith is not some leap in the dark. Do you remember Indiana Jones? Where the, I think is the first one, Raiders of the Lost Ark or, or whatever. If that's the first one, who knows? Who cares? Whatever. That guy's old now anyways. He got killed in, uh, by, his, by Kylo Ren. So um, just ignore what I said. So remember Indiana Jones? Steps out, right? This is, what pe this is what people say faith is like. You just, you don't know what's there. And like Harrison Ford, you just, you step all, and then it's there. That, you don't understand? That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not going in eyes closed. Biblical faith is actually going in eyes open because your faith has to have an object. 
Does that make sense? Faith is only as good as its object. And that object has to be a person who's been raised from the dead, who is none other than Jesus Christ, who can save you. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Your faith actually has to land on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? You don't do this, but you're going in eyes open. Unless your faith is rooted, is rooted in and focused on the person of Jesus and his work on the cross for you in your place, listen, it will do nothing for you. Who cares if you say, oh, I have faith, useless, rubbish, means nothing unless that faith actually operates and lands on Jesus' work as a person in work. Faith is only as good as its object. That's why Paul says a few verses before this, he says this, therefore, you're already there in chapter two, a few verses up, he says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So I ask you, friend, have you placed your faith in Christ? Is Jesus Christ alone the object of your faith? Jesus's perfect life of obedience and death made a way for sinners. Are you, are you throwing all of your weight on that work? By faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what Paul is saying. That's saving faith. That's why Paul celebrates. Do you notice he doesn't say, oh, we thank God every time we pray for you because you guys are the nicest church there. You give each other hugs. You just, you have the best coffee. You guys have the slickest PowerPoint and electricity. None of those things. None of that. It's your saving faith in Jesus. Now, just as their faith has an object, so their love has an object. Look at the next part of this verse. If you're there in Colossians, go back to chapter 1. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And look, and uh, the love that you have for all the saints. You see that there? Faith in Christ, love for all the saints. This is a mark of someone who's truly been impacted by the gospel. I often hear people pray for this, and this is a good thing, by the way, that they would have a greater love for God. Very typical. When you're put on the spot to pray, oh, Lord, help us to love you and to love, you yeah, know, that's fine. That's fine. But, but you know what I rarely hear? And I wonder even, I've, when I studied this week, I even felt convicted. 
I wonder how often we, we ask the Lord to increase our love for people in this church. Do you notice he says, and all the saints, meaning Christians that are there in Colossae, not just the people that is easy to get along with, not just the people that you like. I mean, how often have you found yourself actually praying that God would increase your love for people in this church? Not just for every, everyone, but the saints, those that are in Christ, by the way. I wonder if we desire to grow in this area. If you've been truly impacted by the gospel, you will have a love for God's people. First John says it this way, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Do you hear that? I'm amazed that anyone that has any association with Christianity today, even if they're not a Christian, would always say that they're a Christian. Does that make sense? Like, I bet, I bet you everyone in this room, nearly everyone in this room would say, I'm a Christian, and I know it to be true. How do you know it to be true? John says, because we love the brothers. <laughs> Did you hear that? How do you know that you pass from death to life? Because you love the church. That's not natural. That, that's, that's not, you know you've been impacted by the gospel when you have a love for fellow Christians. Bodhi Bauckham says it this way. It's so simple and yet so profound. He says, if a person doesn't love the church, they don't love Jesus. Do you hear that? That's not really, I mean, that's not very profound. The dude's profound. He's like that. He's like, I spoke at a conference with him and I was like, you are the biggest man. Anyway, but how do you know, how do you know, right? If, if someone doesn't love the church, they don't love Jesus. And you know what's, I think we have a, a really good opportunity at this church. I really think that we have a great opportunity in the weeks and months ahead to have genuine fellowship with each other. Here's what I mean. This is a random motley crew of people. Like, you, this is random Honestly, sorry, I don't mean to be like offensive or anything, but like, you know, here's the thing. In churches, particularly bigger churches, you're like, what a jerk. It's true. It, you could go to churches where everyone looks and smells and acts just like you and they have all the same hobbies of you. Does that, are you still following me? And you're like, oh, I have, I have such connections with this church. I bet if you weren't a Christian, you'd still have those same connections with the people because they share the same hobbies as you. And they look and smell and they listen to the same music to you as you do. Are you catching what I'm saying? But this church is so random that I actually think that we could have a beautiful expression of Christianity, of true biblical fellowship here. And that people would come in here and go, there's like, <laughs> there's like, this is such a random church, but yet it's a compelling community. Why? Because we give hugs? No, we actually, we actually can't give hugs anymore, which I think is great. We, can't, we, actually, we actually can't give hugs anymore because that's, that's been our trademark of this church. It has to be. It has to be. We can't be like the everyone hugged us sort of church. It has to be the gospel. That's what's going to be compelling to people. Do you really think that if, if someone comes in here, they're going to be compelled, if they, especially if they're like, if they don't need a community and some safe haven, some sort of safe place for them to feel like they can just 
have a group or a community of people that they're going to want to come in here. No way, right? But if, but if someone, if the Lord is drawing someone to himself and they enter these doors and they see the most motley crew, random group of people who have genuine Christ-centered fellowship, it will be compelling. I promise you that. On Thursday night, I had an opportunity to pray with two grannies of this church. I shouldn't say it that way. But two lovely elderly ladies with Christina, right? And like, what on earth does Christina and I have in common with Joy Ware? I shouldn't say it, but really, with Joy Ware and with Rhonda Rugendijk? Pretty much nothing. But we were united praying for this church and for the gospel to go out in this community. That's a beautiful thing. What does, I don't want to, I, I know you guys don't like being called out, but I, I can look across this room and go, you, you, and you have nothing in common, socially speaking, except you have everything in common, and that's the gospel. So I think this is a unique opportunity, though I think this church is extremely random. I actually think it's the best opportunity for us to be compelling if we're going to be truly a gospel community. Now, I know you probably think I might sound like, you know, mean spirit. I'm not meaning to. But, like, I can have a genuine connection with people. Like, one of my good friends, okay? Let me share a quick, you guys like stories, so I'll share a quick one. One of my good friends in seminary, in Bible college, was a dude, a gun-slinging Texan. I know that probably means nothing to a lot of you, but, I mean, you know, and I met the guy, and he had cowboy boots on, for goodness sakes. Right? And, and he's like, how y'all doing? You know, it doesn't sound that bad. But, but great brother, and we were, we were next door to them. And it was funny because I walked out of my flat. We were living in a flat. And I looked over at him. He looked over at me. We were both walking at the same time. Unbeknownst to each other, I went back in the house and said, April, we're living next to like this like gunslinging Texan family. And he went in and said, we're living next to a guy from Land of Fruits and Nuts from California, some surfer guy, right? Grant and I have absolutely nothing in common. We're from states. I'm from California. He's from Texas. I know that probably means nothing to you. They typically don't get along. You, know, you have the left coast, the west coast. You have the center and the south. It, all this stuff, we have absolutely nothing in common. One of my closest brothers to this day, who I absolutely love, have a fellowship with him. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. There's nothing, there's no reason. We have nothing. I don't wear cowboy boots and carry guns. and I wear Ugg boots and I like to go surf, man. The normal stuff. But you understand that here? If I can just encourage us, faith in Christ, love for all God's people. I think Again, we've been presented with a very unique opportunity, being as random as we are. That, and, and I pray that actually we have, I'm grateful that we've got some internationals in this church as well. I'm an international, right? And I think more the reason to be like, wow, this is very random and just a beautiful thing. So there you go. Um, now, this last point, about hope, I, I guess I, I worry that I'm going to, you know, you've, you've heard all the cute little stories and maybe you've been inspired and you're like, yeah, let's be that Christ-centered community. And, but I feel like this last point, I might lose you. Um, I hope I don't. I pray I don't. So, I, I, and I'm saying that in a way that I, 
because I like to say things that you don't believe me. So it's, it's, it's intentional what I'm doing. But I want you to notice here that you have faith and you have love, but they're actually founded upon hope. It's interesting. Look at verse 5 and you'll see what I mean. Try to stay with me. It'll, it'll be worth the payoff here. So he says, verse 5, because of the hope that you have laid up for you in heaven. Now, how many of you have been to a, a wedding before and um, you hear the famous 1 Corinthians passage, 1 Corinthians 13, right? Um, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, right? 1 Corinthians 13, everyone goes, oh, that's nice. Yeah, we love them and they love each other. And aren't we all lovey-dovey? Whatever, right? How many of you have heard that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 before? Show of hands. Yes. Okay, good. Now, um, maybe in your own Bible reading, though, you've noticed this pattern, this golden triad. Maybe you've seen it before. Let me show you a couple examples of it. Look here up on the screen. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, ready, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so there you have this triad. You see it? Faith, love, and hope. And then he says this towards the end of the letter. Look here again. He says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And there it is again. And Paul isn't the only guy who uses this, by the way, this triad. Look what the author of Hebrews says. Because of what Jesus has done as our great high priest, the author of Hebrews writes, look, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and of bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There it is again. Peter also grabs the golden triad off the shelf. And look what he says, talking about the work of Jesus. Ready? First Peter 1. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls... By your obedience, get a new muffler, dude. By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. There it is again. Faith, hope, love. Now comes the famous one, 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Okay, now, why did I bother showing you all that? Just for fun? No. Look at, your own, look at your Bibles there at our passage. Look there in Colossians. We have this triad again, but notice the way hope appears and functions, particularly the ordering of it here. I'll pick up again in verse 4. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see how he emphasizes this idea of hope as the foundation? 
faith and love rest on hope. Because think about it this way. Faith is basic, right? Our faith leads, and my faith leads to my love for others, as we've been talking about. And this faith ultimately is the foundation for my hope. That would be fair to think of it that way. Tracking with me? Faith, and then I love people, and that ultimately leads to my hope. But that's not the way Paul orders it. Do you see? Instead, he throws a monkey wrench at us saying faith, love, and then hope. It's quite possible he's doing that on purpose, you know, to draw our idea, draw our, sorry, draw our, our eyes, our thinking, or our ears to this word hope. As Paul thinks about this church, he wants them to realize that hope is the very basis for their faith and love. But why? Notice, he talks about it, a hope laid up for you in heaven. By calling it a hope that is stored up in heaven, he's making it clear that it's not sentimental hope or subjective hope. Like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope you have a lovely day. I hope my team wins, you know, the footy, I hope my footy team wins this year. Uh, You know, I, I hope I win the lottery one day. It is not the subjective hoping on our part that Paul is focusing on here. Rather, it's the objective reality of the hope that is there in heaven for you. It's already there. It's already there, put aside. So in light of this truth, the Colossians have been able to love those within the church to likely step out and do some things that are uncomfortable and difficult in showing that love. Remember, uh, if, you, if you read in Colossians, Paul says, set your minds on things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. That's chapter three. Here he's saying it's the same principle. If you've been impacted by, right, this truth, then it shapes the way you think and you're able to love because it's a reality, it's an objective reality. We too can love those here in this church. When our hope rests firmly in the gospel. Because of the message of the gospel. You see what he says there in verse 5? He says, Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it has also done among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God in truth. Do you notice Paul, what he does there in those next set of verses? He's described sort of this work of the gospel. If you've been impacted by the gospel, you have faith in Christ, love for the church. It rests upon hope. But then he does us a favor. You want to know what he, you know the favor he does us there? He broadens our perspective. We all tend to be like this. Do we not? Even culturally speaking, you know, everyone goes, you know, wow, you know, they, we tend to be about, we tend to be myopic, short-sighted in our own thinking. And particularly the work of the gospel, Paul wants you to know that this is not some um, folk religion that's just there limited to the people in Colossae. Does that make sense? He's saying, I want you to know 
this gospel is spreading out throughout the whole world. It's global. It's a pandemic, right? In a good way. It's actually infecting people, which I find that really encouraging, actually. Um, because it's not just something that's just parochial to say, oh, this Christian, this, you know, this Christian thing works in Australia, Canada, America, and the UK, and a couple other countries, Korea, parts of Africa. Pretty much doesn't work anywhere else. Because it's not true. I mean, have you ever thought that? I've thought that. Maybe this whole Christian thing has been made up by Westerners. Right? Because I can tell you, listen, I can take you to part, parts of India. You see millions of people that don't, they're not going to be like, oh, I love, I love singing that song. 10,000 reasons for my... They're going to have no connection to Jesus whatsoever. I can take you parts of Africa. I can be picked all around the world where there's millions and millions of people. And so then you begin to think, it becomes almost discouraging. Maybe this thing, maybe this Christian thing is just kind of like, a Western thing. Does that make sense? And maybe this is only valid and maybe it only works in the Western world. Maybe it's not actually like legitimate, but Paul's saying it's bearing fruit and it's growing, it's spreading like COVID, really. It, it doesn't have societal divisions. It affects all areas of life from the rich to the poor to everyone in between, from old to young, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It spreads. You can't stop it. The book of Acts shows that, doesn't it? People that are rich, people that are poor, people in between get saved when they hear the gospel. You know what the interesting thing with COVID is? There was no distinction to COVID. Like people like Boris Johnson, whether you like him or hate him or whatever, COVID. You would think like, okay, you know, he, he's not going to get COVID. And, and, you know, certainly someone like Tom Hanks isn't going to get COVID. Famous people, powerful people, poor people, there's no stopping that virus, right? We've seen that. And I don't think that's news to you. We've all seen that. In a positive way that the gospel is like that. The gospel goes forth. Why? Because it's folk religion? No, because it is the word of truth. Truth. You see that there? The word of truth, the gospel. I pray that this gospel actually has an effect. Really, it infects. The message of it infects everyone in this church. And it would spread throughout this church. And then flow out these doors into your workplaces, into your homes. Into people here on the Central Coast who, by God's grace, we could see come to Christ. So how do you know you've been impacted by the gospel? You have a genuine saving faith in Christ. It's not natural. It has to be supernatural. Born from above is the word for born again. You have to be born again. And you know that you actually are 
when you have a love for God's people, the church. And all that rests on a, not a subjective hope, but a real hope. I'm encouraged as we think about gathering next week and keep continuing going through the book of Colossians together. So I, I asked the question to start this off. How do you know you've been impacted by the gospel? Next week, I'm going to ask, how do you know God's will? How do you know God's will? That's a real hot button thing. Yeah, what, what's God's will for me? What's God's, well, Paul lays it out. So how do we know? Those are huge things, right? Like, how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know God's will? Well, we're going to continue to go through Colossians. And it, the book of Colossians, just if, if you haven't caught this already, it just oozes Christology, meaning it just, it's like Jesus, every page you turn, Jesus is like neon signs, Jesus, 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 his person, his work. I'm super excited. If I don't preach Jesus from this text, I have to be lying to you. Like uh, even just like, you have to just see, it's so clear. So I encourage you this week, particularly you parents, go through this book with your kids. Let's, let's be looking at this book together as a church. Let's be that compelling community, a random motley crew, but a compelling community. Amen? We're now going to move to a time of communion. This is really random. I feel like I'm in an airplane. And if you would like the vegetarian meal, you know, but um, so communion for your safety, actually, we've got um, ushers going to be passing these out to you guys. Here's how it works. When, so this is a little wafer on the top, juice in here. That way it's COVID safe. You just, when you get it, if you wouldn't mind, take a moment so we don't all go, you know, like, uh, as we're like, I'm trying to explain something or pray and it's like, you know, just take right when you get it. The top actually comes off fairly easy. You see this? I feel like I'm in an infomercial or something. As you can see for $19.99, if you'd like to buy one of these. So the top comes off, that comes off first. You take the little wafer, then the juice. Look, we have to actually pass these out to you. You're not going to get to come up and take them. If you are a Christian, I want you to take it to celebrate this. But don't just take it because it's coming past you. Do you understand? It's just like you're saying I'm being baptized right now by you taking this. You are identifying with Jesus. You are, have saving faith in Christ. So when they come by, take it. Let it pass by, though, if you are not a Christian. So let me do this to close up our time. Yeah, go ahead. Do the little thing right now. The vegetarian meal is coming past in the next. Anyway, just feels like an airplane. Let me read this text for us. I'm going to open up my little juicy juice box here. The girls are going to come up here and do one last song for us and then hold on to the wafer, hold on to the juice and we'll take these elements together, okay? When they're done singing.